Welcome everyone. I'm Thomas Morino. I am a director in the digital practice at management consultancy firm Alex Partners. It's great that you can join us today for our latest episode of Startup Sessions. This is a series of podcasts in which we are going to explore the key decisions that business leaders have to make in tech businesses, why they have to make those decisions, and ultimately how it helped with their growth story. I am joined today by my colleague, Director Phil Lewis, and we are delighted to welcome Ronnie Raffaelli, VP of Revenue Operations at international e-commerce platform Globally. Ronnie, it's great to have you with us today. Um, could we start perhaps uh, with you providing us and our listeners with a brief introduction to yourself and Globally? Sure. My name is Ronnie Raffaelli. I'm VP of Revenue Operations at uh, Globally. Globally is the leading cross-border end-to-end uh, e-commerce solution. We're currently working with over 1,000 uh, clients, which are uh, retailers selling on our platform to over 200 destinations. Within our clients, you can find some big names such as uh, M&S, Reformation, Versace, Disney, Adidas, Michael Kors, and so on. We also have some smaller clients, uh, but as you can see, we, we are also working with the number one, number one brands uh, in the world. When I joined Globally, I joined um, as head of a customer success team in, in Europe. Back then, the team was basically one person and me. The company altogether had uh, 35 people, only four in the UK. We now have 800 employees in 20 countries uh, across uh, Europe, US, Japan, Australia, and head office in Israel. The company IPO'd in May 2021, currently valued at $5 billion. Yeah, and that, that's great, Ronnie. Would you mind also telling us a little bit about what you did before joining Globally um, and, and also a little bit of you know, how those experiences were useful in, in you being successful in your role and how you grew with it. Yes. So, so basically, and, and this is something that, that uh, I want to highlight and I actually like speaking about. So I didn't come uh, from tech or from customer success. Um, basically, I started my career at Deloitte uh, in strategic uh, consulting. Then I worked in a strategy uh, team, the strategy department uh, for a, a, a large bank uh, in Israel and then in the UK, um, working in all sorts of uh, strategic projects and initiatives. So, so as you can see, it's not, it's not directly uh, related uh, to the industry. But as I said, this is something that is quite uh, close to me uh, because I think Generally speaking, my view, and I'm saying it as an employee based on my experience and also as a manager employing a, and, and building a, a team, I think that the specific experience doesn't really matter, especially uh, when we are talking about startups. I think that if you have the business understanding, people skills, you can work uh, in an agile way, uh, you can work with some ambiguity. I think this is the, the key for uh, success because especially in startups, there is no like a, a really defined and structured uh, job description. You, oh, when this happened, you need to do that based on your experience in XYZ. You always need to do Y. It's just, in my view, it, it doesn't work in startups. So it's more about 
your ability, as I said, your ability to learn, your business understanding and people skill that, that will help you uh, succeed uh, in, 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 in those type of roles. Oh, that's really interesting, Ronnie. Um, moving back to, to Global E and thinking about Global E as a business, what growth stage was the company at when you joined? And, and what were the indicators that you saw then that make you categorize it in that area? So the example would be, you know, incubation, expansion, scaling, or sustaining and extending. Yeah, so globally was was definitely in the incubation stage. When I joined the company, there was a working product. So there was already something to sell. Obviously, if I look at it compared to what we offer today, um, you know, the product was less sophisticated in terms of the features, the robustness, the services, but there was still a great product. Uh, there were a few small clients uh, working on the platform. And when, when I joined, it was really when we had our first uh, big client. So it was kind of the incubation uh, uh, stage and trying to, to grow from it, I would say. And yeah, I think one of the strategic advantages of Globally, especially if I look at other companies in, in this arena, arena and also generally speaking at the incubation stage, was that even though uh, we had a very large uh, client uh, that accounted for a very large proportion of the, the revenue, the company always made sure that what we, we develop is A, transferable and B, that we are not just developing for this a specific client and it's also something that will also grow the company and will push it forward so yeah uh, and, and and during the first few years this is uh, really where we worked hard to strengthen the the product to build more a uh, feature to enhance the services to make it more robust and and at the same time from the business perspective to look for more um, opportunities, uh, more territories, uh, more services, basically what we can do more to reach to the point uh, where, where we are now. So now Globally is about 10 years old. Um, and in that growth story, it'd be interesting to hear from you what you think the, uh, the sort of market factors uh, that have happened over the last 10 years, uh, where that contributed to the success of of what you have done since. So obviously we've had some pandemic time, we've had a, a Brexit, we've had a whole bunch of things happening which perhaps have been hurdles or perhaps opportunities for you and how do you see them in your growth journey? Luckily enough, globally, uh, generally speaking, is, uh, is working in a growing uh, sector. First of all, uh, e-commerce, you know, which is related to the internet penetration, mobile penetration, social media, and so on. Um, we are sp specifically doing cross-border e-commerce. So, you know, again, the trend of globalization, people, uh, this is not a new trend, but it's, it's growing every year. People are more closer to one another. We're familiar with brands from all over the world and so on. So this was the general kind of uh, world. You can add to it that countries also realize that this is the trend. So, you know, taxmen, they, they want also uh, their share and also they have their regulation and so on. So although the industry and the markets was very 
positive. On the other hand, it became, and it's still, and it's still happening, it becomes more and more complex in terms of regulation, duties and tax, costumes, and so on. We see it uh, across the world. And on the one hand, on the second hand, customers becoming a bit more savvy and maybe to some extent uh, lazy or spoiled uh, in the sense of now we are very used to paying, you know, with our preferred payment method, with our preferred currency. We will not, you know, if I'm browsing from my phone, I will not make a big effort, so to say, to buy something which is not convenient. So those market trends were really kind of where globally is placed and this is part of of globally success now if you add to it two other big events that that happened uh, in those years one of them is brexit which had a lot of complexity uh, to british uh, merchants selling um, uh, to europe uh, and 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 uk was one of the globally's uh, first market so this also helped and um, the pandemic actually again it was another uh, booster uh, because obviously at the beginning people were kind of stay put not really spending a lot of money and so on but after a few months when covid was a part of life but still uh, lockdowns and it changes across it changed across the world when uh, it was uh, in europe and then australia and so on when people are in lockdown you know they they, <laughs> they go online uh, so we we had also the back the backwind of of those two kind of main events on top of the general trend. Ronnie, interested to go back to the the comment that you had earlier. You mentioned that um, Globally got a large client in its early days, and and that can be quite a transformative moment for a startup. Um, what were some of the challenges uh, and opportunities that that brought for for Globally? A large client is is a, a transformative uh, event, I would say. First of all, of course, it's a, a very a, a big proof of concept and kind of it, it helps a lot in terms of uh, funding and your position in the market. However, it, uh, it can also uh, be a little bit of, of a risk or, or challenge. Large and big clients tend to be sophisticated, demanding. So as, as a company, especially when at the beginning you're very relying on, on this client, uh, there is a lot of work and investment around this client. In my view, the main key is to make sure this client is, is happy, that they, they see results, that they are growing with you, but at the same time, make sure that whatever you build for them is also building you as a company. So it's transferable, it's usable to other clients, it makes sense when you look at your strategy as well, and it's not very kind of specific and designed only for that client and cannot be reused. And so this is from the product point of view. And of course, from sales and growth point of view, uh, even though when you're small and you have one big client, it kind of it occupies the whole company. Still, it's very important to remember that, that it's not enough and you need to keep on chasing and keep on growing to different, uh, to new clients, new territories, new services and, and not kind of say, okay, I have this big client who keeps me busy um, and contributing to the, the revenue and, and, and that's fine. You need to keep being hungry, same as you were before. 
And so with all this hunger, uh, which uh, you seem to have uh, satisfied somehow, so do, can you give us a view of where you think you are in, in, in what stage of growth you are now globally? Yeah, I would say that uh, globally is now at the phase of, of, of scaling. I think um, the, the change in, in my role, or it's not a change in my role, but the change for me in my position uh, can demonstrate it. Uh, basically, the main ha- focuses uh, for globally now are uh, to penetrate into new territories and new client uh, verticals. We recently expanded to uh, Asia, to the Nordic uh, countries. Uh, we're working a lot with partnership. We have part- we have a partnership agreement with uh, Shopify. Uh, so, so this is one way of scaling. We are also uh, growing into new services around uh, demand generation. So not only to enable uh, localization, but also... Uh, uh, to bring uh, traffic uh, to the website. Uh, what we are also doing in terms of services is that um, we are utilizing the data. Obviously, we have so many clients working uh, on our platform, selling internationally, that we have a lot of data and best practice that I don't think that anyone in the market uh, has. So, of course, this is something that we are um, utilizing. When I say utilizing, is to be able to advise our client, to give them best practices, to give them recommendation and really be much, much more than just a platform or just a tool. And of course, the, the, the third part of, of scaling uh, is to streamline and, and uh, optimize our current uh, activities. So now that we have 800 employees across uh, 20 countries, uh, different continents, we really need to streamline the activities to make sure that um, the things, the, to make sure that activities are more structured, and and this is really the the three kind of pillars that we are working on now. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely now um, at the scale phase. What have you seen as the biggest challenges that globally is faced in getting to this stage, Ronnie? Uh, and what do you think have been the keys to the business success so far? I think the challenges are, on the one hand, to build a great product and then to make it industry standard. So, for example, as I said, now, um, nowadays, and, and merchants and retailers completely understand it, it, it would seem very, very weird if you would go on a website and you will find uh, and you find products, but... Uh, Prices will not be in your own currency or that uh, shipping would be very, very expensive and, and long to get it to your doorstep. So it's just not things that are happening. And I think global, globally had a big part of changing this perception because I can share with you that before globally, the, there were companies that did some parts of what globally is doing, but it was never a great product, meaning that it was not, it, it, it just, it wasn't done really well. So there was no big uptake. And because of that, it wasn't industry standard. So the way I see it, you need to have the, the good idea and, and the need for it. And then to build a great product for then to, to be in a situation where everyone wants it or need it in order 
to be able to, in our case, to sell cross-border. In other cases, it's to do whatever the product needs, you know, what, whatever the product is meant to do. But unless it's, it's really good and it's really working, people would just live without it, same as they did five years ago or before your company was, was built, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. How important has Globalese leadership team been in progressing the business to its market position today? And, and what are the characteristics that have stood out to you that have made that so impactful? I think that, that um, generally speaking, with startup, leadership team is very, very important. Uh, this also applies to Globally. Still, this is a very much a founder-led company, even after 10 years and with all the growth and everything, uh, still the founders are very uh, heavily involved. Specifically for Globally, uh, between the three founders, uh, each one uh, contributed in a slightly different angle, but uh, all of them have both the vision in terms of you know, which services to offer, what is the direction of the company, uh, but also very much a hands-on approach and attention to, to details and so on. And as I said, I think that when you look at a startup, uh, it's very important that the leaders are, would be very uh, capable and very inspiring because at the beginning, you need to really build everything from scratch. There, there is no uh, footsteps to follow. Uh, you need to make sure that the idea is good, that it's uh, feasible, that um, there is demand, but also that the execution is good. One without the other would just not work. Um, so, so you need to have these two components um, and you need to have leadership that really is engaged and care about it and can really uh, bring it to life. So perhaps just to kind of close on this, Ronnie, I wanted to ask a set of quickfire questions, if that's okay. Looking ahead, what do you think will be the most disruptive factors to contend with uh, and the, the factors most critical for startups to succeed in the current climate? I think the main, the main thing in the, in the coming um, months uh, and maybe a couple of years uh, would be around funding. I think startups will uh, struggle more to get uh, the funding. Uh, we know that now the market look at at uh, high-tech uh, startups slightly differently. Growth potential is not enough anymore. Investors want to see a profit and to see a result, which is, of course, much more difficult when you're just starting. As for uh, the clients, and this is, uh, of course, all industries, there is more pressure uh, on the margin. So generally speaking, people are less keen on trialing new stuff or investing uh, uh, funds in things that are maybe not necessary. And most of the products, when you just start with them, are not necessary. Uh, they might be necessary in a few years, same as happened to all of us with, I don't know, mobile phones, for example, or same that uh, happened with uh, cross-border e-commerce that, as I said, after globally uh, started, now it seems very, very strange to buy even from a different country when you cannot pay in your own uh, card or uh, pay in your own currency. But at the beginning, when these products are not really, uh, are not fully implemented and so on, generally speaking, I think businesses would be less keen on trialing and investing in new stuff. Okay, thank you. Um, 
The second question I wanted to ask was, what, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to embark on a startup journey? <laughs> um, that they need to have a, a lot of patience, energy, uh, but really it requires a lot of flexibility to be able to work in an agile um, environment, a lot of um, ambiguity. In many cases, you need to almost invent the wheel in the sense of even if you have a product and then you have clients that are requesting something slightly different or that the market is slightly moving, you need to be, to be very much hands-on to understand the circumstances and react quite uh, quickly to it. And, and you need to be able to make sure that your clients, especially, this is always true, but of course at the beginning, you need to make sure that your clients are really, really satisfied and the, that they are really getting added value from the product because otherwise it, it will just not, yeah, uh, it, it will just not happen. And last but not least, perhaps the hardest one, uh, can you try and give us a prediction of something you think will happen in the next 12 months? I, I'm not a fortune teller, so of course it's very, very hard to say, but uh, relating to the previous question, I think that the the economy slowdown will, will definitely uh, impact, impact uh, the, the next uh, 12 months because, as I said, business businesses and investors will be less keen to, to invest and so on, which can uh, slow some uh, processes down. Uh, but again, those who are really creating value and who are building services or products that will be needed, they, they will succeed. Even if there is less money or less appetite in the market, the, the, there is still some. So it, it might just be more difficult to get there. But, but yeah, still the society and people and everyone is looking always for, for new stuff. So there is always room for some more good products and services. Thank you, Ronnie. Um, thank you very much. It's been great to have you on today and uh, an absolute pleasure to hear your insights and, and how you look at things uh, from the world of e-commerce. Um, and to the audience, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you can join us for the next episode of Alex Partners Startup Sessions. Goodbye and have a great day.